welcome our listeners back to the Red Letter Life Discipleship uh, Podcast, sponsored by uh, Lifestone Ministries. Our purpose is to be a resource to Christian leaders. We desire every Christian to become more engaged with the Great Commission. I'm Craig Robleski, and joining me today is uh, Pastor Brian Hagerman from Foundation Church out in Norwalk, Ohio, and Brett Creamer. So let's talk a little bit about today some of the barriers that are stopping us from discipling others. Some of those things were definitions, right? We were just chatting about some of the definitions. So let's start with that. So let's define what is a disciple. A disciple is a person who is following the life of Jesus. They've accepted him as their savior. They are following his life, his commands, his lifestyle. They want to represent him to replicate that in their lives and help others do the same. All right. Would you add anything to that, Brian, or are you satisfied with that definition? No, I mean, I think he encompasses it all. It's just basically if many people are Christians and they're just, they made a decision to become a follower of Christ, but many stop with the first few steps of that faith. So like what Brett said is very true. You know, they, people that are a disciple want to go further. They follow Christ. They want to obey his commands and replicate themselves into others. Okay. So now we, uh, sounds like we have consensus on the definition yeah, sure. of a disciple. What is a well-equipped Christian leader? What would be, what would a well-equipped Christian leader look like? And then we'll get into some barriers. Well, I would see somebody that follows the Word of God and the examples we have. You look at what Paul did as he went out to preach and teach. You look at what James did. James, I love the book of James, where he, he, he lays it out for real. This is what you should be doing. This is how we're supposed to live. Seeing that in the Word right, laid out for them clearly that they want to represent that. They want to bring that to the forefront of their lives. That That's what changed me is it wasn't just hearing a gospel message and saying, I want that. I said, boy, what, what have I missed? And the more I got into classes, I, it, it drew me in more and more. I wanted to read more. I wanted to do more for God. I think that's what we're looking for is somebody who is dedicated to God, sold out for God, and they want to follow his example. What do you think, Brian? Someone who's well-equipped has the necessary resources and tools in their life to be able to fulfill the Great Commission, and they know what they are, and they use them. There's a value placement on them. Some people don't value all the tools that's been presented, but God is doing something very worthy in their life that's really the baseline is the Great Commission. But, you know, not everybody has been given all the tools. Not everybody has been trained. You know, we can see the detriment of, I would say, not well-equipped leaders in the in the Christian community because, you know, I've talked to numerous pastors, and it's like, well, you know, my generation has failed. We haven't discipled and trained well. So there's just a lack of training and equipping of Christian leaders. And, and sometimes, you know, you get into the rigmarole of life, and then you start doing life in, in church or a parachurch or in the and you just start doing what you know to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just we need to do a better job of equipping and, and helping these leaders to become more equipped, especially Great Commission-oriented. All right, so now we're getting already into the discussion of what are some of the barriers. What is the barrier from us actually helping others grow in their in their spiritual formation and get them to a point where they can repeat the process? What, these are those barriers. And the barriers, what we just, Brian, Pastor Brian just mentioned, is that some of those barriers are we're not equipping well, we're not training well, and a lot of them don't have the tools yet. So let's go backwards a little bit, and let's just talk about the knowledge, because that's going to bring definition to what tools are, right? Sure. sure. So the how, why, what, when, whatever you want to do. But basically, um, we know the, the why is the Great Commission. And sometimes, let's just unpack that for a minute, and like, what is the Great Commission? 
many people, you know, say, hey, it's, it's my outreach, it's, it's evangelism, but it's really about discipleship. It's about um, to go into all the world. That's evangelism. But once you get someone to be a follower of Christ, um, what do you do with them? Well, that's what the rest of the entire Great Commission is, to teach them into discipleship, discipleship, and then go and baptize once they're saved. And then you're basically, Jesus say, hey, I'm with you always. And what does that mean? It's like, this isn't done in your power. This is through mine. I bear, I'm going to provide the fruit. Hey, go first. Go evangelize. Um, and once you do, teach them, model it disciple, replicate, and uh, create that community. It's really having a really good understanding of what is the Great Commission, because many times we have a great outreaches in the church, but there's nothing when they come back into the church, or if you say in your own life, because the Great Commission is not just for pastors. It's not for church leaders. It is for every person who is a follower of Christ. So in that regard, many are not, that we, we talked about it a minute ago, about not being trained and equipped. Many homes are not trained and equipped. How do I live out my faith and how would I even disciple someone? How would I even teach someone? I mean, that's not my job. That's why I bring them to church. That's what you're for. <laughs> well, even in churches, I've said the church I worked for is a church of 4,000 people. You had a head pastor. Then he had a missions pastor. Then a men's group leader, women's group, children's pastor. Everyone had their own niche. So when it came to all outreach, it went through that one person. It's almost like we've been trained by the way we set up the, the hierarchy well, we don't get into that. That's his job. I'm busy doing these other things. It, it could be that that is, uh, what would say, inherited in us. It, it's been created. Now, that's a large church. Not everyone has that. If, if you have a church of 100 people, you wouldn't have a missions pastor. And that one pastor is taking on that role. And he's handling all those different, wearing all those hats, right? In my church... And the church I came from before, it was a, a sister church. It was the same way. They had a missions pastor. They had a youth pastor. So it's like nobody talks to the kids, but that person. No one talks to anybody about outreach, but that person. No one does the message, but that person. So it seems a lot of people are getting trained in their head that I only give the message. And, you know, I, I think it bore, but when it was really born from was a good place. The pastors are there to teach and equip for the saints to do the work. As believers, what it's come down to, we've become, the church is going to set up my outreach for me. They're going to set up, you know, what studies I do, if I choose to do them. Or I'll just get my meat on Sunday mornings, and that's really not their meat. There's truth in that. I would say there's nothing wrong with still having that. The problem is, is we're not on the ground level discipling each other. We're not, we're not teaching how to do this Make it personal to your life. The Great Commission has to be personal to every person that's a believer. And that's important. That's the very question of this podcast. I think the three of us sitting here agree that's what we need to be doing. What are the barriers to do that? And so that comes down to a, a proper definition of the Great Commission. But here's the hard part is then the how. How do you incorporate it into a church setting? Or how do you incorporate it into your home? How do you incorporate it into your community or into your workplace where you're trying to do People don't know how. It's that knowledge. It's like, well, I don't know how. And this is that leads to other questions. Like, what does this look like? What, what, what is it? And that's that creates more barriers. Like, I don't use the term program. I use the term process because it's not a classroom. It's not multiple things you just kind of roll through and you check it off your list. That's where we want to tell you, hey, go do this Bible study, go to this Sunday school class, or go to this small group, or go here. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer has that book, you know, life together. It's about living life together. So one of the barriers is, is understanding that it's a process. It's, it's about developing your life and mimicking it after Christ and His obedience. And when we do that together in community, so the whole point of 
as we reorganize my home, my church, is we've got to get to a point we develop community. That is where the how-to, the what comes from. So community is so much important. I, I, I think that is the crux of everything. You know, we're, we're very much ingrained into doing traditional church or whatever church we, and it may even be a contemporary church that has small groups. Sometimes even then, we can get stuck into traditional small groups. Hey, you know what? We're going to train someone to be a leader. We start replicating things, but we're not really training them to be Christ followers. That's the point. We've got, there's a lot of different definitions, barriers, including into this knowledge of the how-to. So where do we begin then? If community is very, very important, depending on where our church is at right now, how do we take this first step towards you know, diving into this and, and transforming the church into the type of body of Christ that lives out that form of community? What do we do? So here, here's, there's basically five barriers that are very general, and there's probably a lot more, but these are the very, probably top five in a consensus way of, of barriers in, into doing a discipleship process or doing discipleship anywhere. One is that knowledge of time is underneath that. Don't have the time. But I'll come back to that one just a minute. And then it's about relationships. Then it's about don't have, I don't, I don't want to get my hands dirty. And that's part of that time element. And then it's, I don't want to come out of my comfort level. So I want to come back. We may touch on a lot of those in different ways, but those are the five basic ones. Come back to the, the time aspect of it. Don't having the time. It's because we don't understand that it's a process. We just talked about that. We don't understand it's a community. So I want to start there. What is a discipling community? That is the big question because people say, well, I'm in community group. I'm in a small group. Our church uses grace groups. Community is not just your grace group. What is the discipling community? What, what is that environment? That is where we seem to fail, is developing that discipling community. So I'll kind of leave that there for a minute, get your guys' thoughts, but um, I have more to unpack on under that. I would love to see every single person in the church come alongside someone else. The problem is when you have, let's say you have new believers, they've only been there three months, six months, a year. They don't feel confident enough to do that. They don't understand the work well enough. That's when somebody needs to be coming alongside them. It needs, as you're saying, a community. That community needs to start in the church, and people have to have their eyes open. People need to get involved and see a need and jump in. But then there's the comfort level. People don't want to get their hands dirty, as you mentioned. How do we train these people to do that, to get leaders to stand up? And I'm doing it. Look, I'm taking three people on my wing, and this associate pastor is as well, and this pastor. Can we start a movement with the pastors grabbing two, three people and getting involved in their lives, deeply involved, and having a class on how they're doing that for everyone under that in their ministries. I'm going to throw something in there really quick, is George Barna did a study last year sometime, and this is what he said. They did a study, I think it was along with Navigators, and they put out this study and the results, and it was only t- these are Christians being asked questions and getting results. Only two out of five Christians are being discipled. And out of that, only 28% of them are in a discipleship community. So what does that even mean? And so when you start looking at it, so they ask these questions like, okay, for everybody that's a Christian, they ask like some, some different questions. And I think one of them was like, you know, you're the thoughts on Jesus or this, that, and the other. And in every question, those people who are in a discipling community had a very high view of these biblical thoughts. Um, so I'm, I'll pack real quick what a discipling community is. Someone who is being discipled and is also discipling someone else. And I like to use this term, and this isn't mine, but someone who actually helped and disciple me. He gave me this diamond thought, meaning you're in the center of this diamond. There should be always someone at the t- point top that's discipling you, pouring into you. And then below you is someone, that diamond point at the bottom, 
is someone you are discipling, pouring into. And then the points on the edges of the diamond on the sides are people in your peer group and your personal community and how you um, iron sharpens iron in ways. You need to have a diamond in your life. where Because what happens is that that's a discipling community where you are being discipled and you are discipling others and you have community. The problem is, is we only look at it as a one-way street. Who are you discipling? Well, that means you're not being discipled. There's, because there's a large percentage in this Barner study, many of people who are discipling are not being discipled. So like, there's a cutoff there. It's like, I've only gotten so far. I'm, I've attained. I've matured in my faith. I've grown. I've become equipped. I'm done. I don't allow people in. It really stunts even the growth of the people you're discipling. And so when they were asking these questions to people about Jesus and some biblical questions, the people who are only being discipled and not discipling others, or who are in a group where the people that were being discipled by, they weren't being discipled. It was like a one-way street. Those people had a lower view biblically. Point is, is this, and it kind of goes down further there. People that are not engaged in a discipling community had a much lower thing of like some biblically-based questions, and then people who were not doing any discipleship whatsoever, even lower— point is this. We want to get people into a high level of biblical understanding and obedience. Every person needs to be in a discipling community. How do we shift the needle to get there? Much easier for us to talk about than do, right? <laughs> that's, that's the, that's the that's whole the point of the conversation, right? How do we shift the needle? I've moved around the country in several different states and been in several different churches. The two that I was heavily involved with, one I worked for, what I saw and the difference was they had adult ed classes like discipleship classes where I've never had such a feeling of discipleship like I did in those two churches. That was their goal, education. Okay, so let me ask you this question. So in those that feel, so what did you experience differently? The fellowship was completely different. So was it fellowship? When did you do fellowship? Bible studies together. Um, those fellowship groups got together multiple times a week for different events. I felt people come alongside, talk to me, you know, ask me questions, try to mature me up. I could feel it happening that they were involved and they wanted to help. And it wasn't just, hey, we all showed up for a party or we all showed up for the Bible study and no one says anything and you'll stare at your, your Bible and then, all right, have a great day. It was involved one-on-one. And then it was people saying, I'd love to do lunch with you. And people would want to take me out. And that's what was weird because I had just gotten saved. It was a large church, 20, 21,000 people. And I get saved and suddenly people are coming alongside. That was new to me. And I'm like, this is weird. And they're almost forcing their way into my life, like in a loving way. And it was, it, I see, you know, I was single all by myself. I just moved down to Florida and I said, you know, this is nice. I have people inviting themselves to do stuff and get involved. When we start to talk about the barriers, there's different barriers depending on the place you're from from a fellowship standpoint, because that is one of the barriers. Getting into discipling community, you could be living in Texas listening to this and saying, like, we have great fellowship. You could be listening in into Montana and like, we only have fellowship with people we know. And when we get together, we just talk. The barriers could be different from where you're at. The principles are the same, meaning this, that uh, that's why I asked the questions to you is, this discipling community, you look at Acts chapter 2, there's a lot of, fe- there's a lot of points there. Fellowship, we're giving over, we're growing in doctrine, it's affecting our lives, we're evangelizing. So a great discipling community has different layers to it from a people standpoint. You you have your larger group, you have your small group, you have your discipling group of a few people, like Jesus had James, John, Peter, and then you have your one-on-ones. All of those are really necessary for a discipling community. It's part of that diamond shape. And, that, and when you get down to your small group level, 
You should be fellowshipping outside of doing studying the Bible together. You should be doing your own outreaches together. You should be being the micro church of the of the macro church. That is what you do. So as I disciple a few people, I take them on a journey. We're gonna as we learn about Jesus. Hey, now let's go figure out ways to impact and apply what we're doing. That's a discipling community. So it, many times we want a fellowship, and then we was like, ah, that was a great experience, but we forget that there's outreach, there's discipling, there's replication, there's impact in my, in, into my sphere of influence in right, my life. Right, there, it just popped up. So there's a distinction between just fellowship. Fellowship is a tool, Yeah. right? It's certainly part of the, the body of Christ, but fellowship in and of itself is not necessarily discipleship. There's a huge difference between that, right? Those two things. So there are principles of the discipling community. Fellowship can come in different ways, but it's a principle. Mentoring, fellowship, doing some outreach, evangelism, growing in your prayer life, all of these are part of your disciples' life and discipling community. And as you have those diamonds shaped, as you are in a small group, as you do one-on-ones with someone, that creates your, your community. How do churches, how do, how do homes, how do communities— I think we can agree to that. I think conceptually, I think everyone here is agreeing to that. Uh, and Brett was just talking about he felt that kind of community of people coming alongside him, fellowshipping him, and pushing him to grow spiritually. So I don't know if that actually turned into one-on-one discipleship. I thought I was hearing that. Yes. Mm -hmm. If I'm wrong, correct me. So the big question is, how do we take a church that's struggling in this culture, does, does, does not do these things, and move, move a small group, move a church, move, move a family? It doesn't really matter what, what group we're talking about. How do we move from where we are to a position where we're coming alongside people and moving them spiritually and, doing what, and, and having this diamond shape? How do we go from where we're at to the diamond shape? Well, maybe we'll ask the question that way. I think a lot of, as you said, the, those five stumbling blocks that pull us away from wanting to do it. Uh, one of the things that I've seen is entertainment. People want to be entertained. They, they would rather be sitting at home watching a movie or sports. Let's say, let's go with sports, okay? How many people do you know? That, oh, I'm a Cleveland's fan or anything. The Eagles fan where I'm from in Jersey, right? And that's all they talk about is sports. If they would focus that, channel that energy towards something constructive and spend it on another person. When you ask them, do you have time to disciple? And oh, no, I don't have time. But they put their personal things first. That's what we talk about maturity or- It's value. What do, we, what, do we value? What, do we, what do we put on the pedestal? And I have found in my life, I had so many different things. I used to race cars. I restored cars, um, motorcycles and boats. And uh, I loved mechanical things. My dad is a mechanic. He taught me how to be a mechanic. And I loved working on stuff, wrenching, restoring. Before the church, cars, traveling, camping, being outdoors, doing stuff, that was on the pedestal. Now that I got saved, I put Jesus up there. And I said, well, maybe I'll combine the two. And when I'm out there and got this job at this automotive industry, and I said, this is not where I want to be. This isn't this isn't fulfilling that anymore, where I thought, oh, this will be my forever job. I hated it. I hated being there. But I started a Bible study there, and I found even though I didn't want to go to work every day, going to be a, a disciple and pull people in and help them to walk with Christ was my goal. So let, let me share this. Let me share this quote. I'm, I'm going to read it directly out of an article, which is very interesting, and I think it kind of keys right into our discussion today. And uh, this is talking specifically about church leadership in particular and talking about the five potential barriers to discipleship. And here it is. Ready? Uh, quote, the buzzword in the small groups world used to be community. We wanted everyone in our church to be in community together for great reasons. 
they were less likely to leave the church. They were more likely to serve in the church. They were being cared for by more than just the pastoral staff. Now the word I hear often is discipleship. We have done a pretty good job of gathering people into community. Now how do we turn that into making disciples? And okay, that's end quote. And that, that's the question. And then it goes on to list five barriers here, which I think that popped up here already, right? It's really hard. <laughs> it requires a long time. Uh, it requires a relationship. And there's not a finish line. And very few people understand that it actually causes growth when you do it, right? Both people, right? Even the one discipling grows in the process. So if, if the biggest problem is coming along are, are Christian leaders and, and uh, finding folks that can pair up with them, we can do that, right? We can find those organizations. There's, there's a lot out there that come along leadership in churches and help them understand how to go along this journey and how to reassess where they're at and create a plan to get into that mode of where they're training up leaders and, and getting into discipleship. There's, there's lots of ways to do that. We certainly encourage our leaders to, to email us at redletter at livingrockministries.org. And uh, we have some organizations that we work with. We'd love to pair you up with someone if you're struggling and have some questions and are trying to figure this out, uh, just like we are uh, during our discussion today. So thank you very much for joining us today. We look forward to uh, uh, joining with you next time. Have a blessed week.